Welcome to the MMA Roadshow, episode number 311. My name is John Morgan. Cold coffee is not with me today. Nobody is with me today. <laughs> I'm sitting here all alone in my hotel room in Philadelphia. We're at the uh, Old Town Marriott, I believe it's called, down here. Downtown Philadelphia. Uh, getting set up, getting ready to head over to the arena in a little bit. 2300 Arena. For the start of two consecutive nights on UFC Fight Pass, it is Cage Fury Fighting Championships, CFFC 92, and CFFC 93. So uh, by the time you're listening to this, CFFC 92 will probably already be in the books, but hey, catch it on replay if you would. Uh, And CFFC 93 will be live on Friday night, so if you're hanging around, got nothing to do, want to turn in and uh, see see a little bit of live MMA with me and my man CM Punk on the call, please do that. I would appreciate it. And uh, once again, the way the schedule lays out, unfortunately, I can't have CM Punk on the show. Hopefully, we'll do like a Friday, Saturday or something. Uh, basically, he flies in from Chicago, so he he, he comes in. They basically want us on the ground as, as little as possible here. That's kind of our, our COVID protocol is, you know, kind of minimize our time here. I mean, obviously, there's a number of other COVID things done as well, but one of them is we kind of come in as late as possible and spend as little time on the ground as possible, so... Unfortunately, the schedules don't line up, but one of these days when we get back to normal, I'll sit down and, and have, have our man CM Punk talk on this uh, as well. In the meantime, you're stuck with just me. I got to I, I tell you about my, uh, my journey here first. <laughs> so, as I said, you know, we kind of want to come in uh, late as possible, although I, I still come in in the mornings because, you know, there's less direct flights from Vegas. I'm trying to take the direct flight, so, you know, don't have any connections messed up or anything like that. So I left at uh, 11 p.m. last night, Vegas time, and got here um, a little after 6 in the morning here, Philadelphia time. I came to the hotel and got a little sleep, but the journey was uh, bizarre. <laughs> uh, overall, flight was good. You know, it's late. They, you know, I... I uh, I, um, you know, maybe had a little cocktail or two, plus a little CBD melatonin. I've been using the CBD melatonin. Look, I don't sleep very good uh, at all, um, which is why sometimes I imbibe in the frosty beverages a little bit too often. Uh, But lately, I've been doing CBD melatonin, and man, uh, it works. It works. Uh, I don't know why it took so damn long to start doing it, uh, but if you're having trouble sleeping, order you some some CBD melatonin-type blend stuff. Uh, you're going to like it. In fact, I'll just give them a plug because <laughs> the product I've been using uh, is from Direct Hemp, uh, which is a sponsor of CFSC. So I'll just give them a little shout out. <laughs> they actually had some samples last time I was here and I, and I brought it home and I still didn't use it forever. But anyway, took that, fell asleep fine, got a little bit of sleep on the plane. So we get up and I'm, uh, I wouldn't say I'm groggy, but you know, just getting settled in, getting ready to go. And uh, I, I I got the upgrade, which was nice. I was sitting in this, this, the the first class cabin, you know, not a whole bunch of us in there. Planes, you know, planes are more full now, but they're not completely packed. But you know, there was probably I don't know ten of us up there in the in the first class cabin. Anyway, we're starting to starting to get off. I'm in the fourth row of the four rows of, of first class, and a guy turns around from the front row and is talking to a lady in the second row, and they're not screaming or anything but he's he's talking to her a little bit um 
Oh, probably a little, probably a little passive aggressive going on there. <laughs> Something I'm all too familiar with. Uh, probably a little bit of passive aggressive, you know, nature going on there. But I couldn't really hear all of it. But then I hear the guy say, uh, "I sure hope you don't choke on your own spit and die." <laughs> and I was like, "Now again, it's not loud. Nobody's being super aggressive. Uh, nobody's being over the top." But I'm like, "What?" What a bizarre thing to say to somebody. And I just I didn't even know how to take it. The lady didn't respond. Uh she just kind of looked away and I was like, it, does that have some kind of like meaning to it that I'm not aware of? Like is it like good luck in some culture or something? I, I don't know. What what's going on here? So I was like, all right, well, I that was weird. I, I was literally like playing it over in my head. I'm like, what could that possibly mean? Uh yeah, just what could it possibly mean? I mean, I, I guess it's pretty clear what it means. But anyway, so we get off the plane. Um, and as we're walking off, um, now that we're out of the plane, and I guess probably away from the flight attendants and away from any potential security concerns, uh, then it starts going off a little bit. And uh, the and this, dude, these are like older people. The, 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 the lady that was being talked to, older I'm celebrating my birthday next week, turning 43. Uh, they were a little bit older than me. So the guy was probably like in his 50s or 60s. And uh, and the lady was probably in her like 30s or 40s. But anyway, you know, then she's like, what? Did you just call me up? It's uh, it's a, it's a word that's fine to use in Australia. And that cold coffee, it's the C word that cold coffee loves to use as much as he possibly can uh, <laughs> whenever we travel to Australia. He's like, did you call me a beep? And uh, and then she starts to yell a little bit, and the guy starts to lean back. But now this older guy, his wife is—I'm assuming his wife, whatever—the lady he was with grabs him by the hand and like yanks him forward so that they, you know, start walking away to get away from the situation. But I'm like, what in the hell is going on at six o'clock in the morning that you need to be dropping a C bomb getting off the, <laughs> off the airplane? Oh man, so that okay, so that's that's step one. I was like, whoa, all right, we getting aggressive here in Philadelphia. All right, no worries. So then I go, uh, I, I got to go get an Uber to come to the hotel. Um, which, by the way, uh, if anybody's from the Philadelphia area and you're using the airport anytime soon, they have changed the routing of where Uber is supposed to pick you up now. But unfortunately, none of the Uber drivers know where they're supposed to go. It's a different place. So I had one driver cancel on me. The second driver was having trouble finding me. Um, super nice guy, man. I, I wish I remembered his name. Super nice guy. Cause he actually texted me. He's like, hold on. I'm going to find it. You know, I'm going to be there. This guy had a, a 4.97 rating. I see why, man. He was having trouble finding me, but he was not going to give up on me. So he finally gets the light. He's like, man, I had to stop and ask somebody and they told me where to go. He's like, but, but cool, cool. I'm like, oh, thanks man. You know, it took a little while or whatever, but I got it, man. I could see that we we're in a different place and you know, everything, whatever. Didn't bother me. I understood. I wasn't in a real rush. I mean, it was 6 in the morning. I was kind of tired and ready to get some sleep, but I wasn't in a big big rush by any stretch of the imagination. So anyway, hop in the car, and uh, immediately he's like, hey, are you the the MMA guy? And I was like, yeah, 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 I am. And so we just started talking to him. He's like, that's so cool, man. He's like, I'm a huge fan. I've been watching since UFC 1. So we start chatting some MMA. So as we're, as we're starting to leave the airport, and it's like, again, it's you know six thirty in the morning by this time. It's not a lot of people out, uh, and especially where they have this this the Uber picking you up now. There's like no traffic over there at all, which I was assuming why they want to have it there. But um, just ahead, and I see it too. There's a lady walking, 
and she just falls down. Like, literally just falls down. She's walking down the sidewalk and just falls down. And uh, he he pulls over, and he's like, dude, do you mind if I get out and help? I'm like, off. Of course not, man. Let, let, yeah. So he gets out to help this lady, you know, and he's like, ma'am, are you okay? And she's like, ah, you know, my, my knee, I got a bad knee, like my hip. Uh, yeah, I was just, ah, you know, and, and it looks kind of embarrassed or whatever, you know, that she fell or whatever. So he's like, he's, you know, right, do you need me to get you? And no, I'm okay, I'm okay, okay. You know, still laying down at this point. So she's trying to get up, and uh, she, as she's trying to get up, she kind of falls over again, you know? And uh, so he's like, he, he reaches down to give her a hand to try to help her up. And then right then, out of the, I, and I'm not paying attention at this point. I, I wasn't, I, probably my fault for not looking around and trying to see what else is going on. But a dude walks up. I don't know where he came from, but a dude walks up and just starts like mad dogging my Uber driver. Like, who the hell are you to be talking to my woman? That that's what the That's what the look kind of, you know, that's what it read. He didn't say anything. But, man, he was mad-dogging, like, what the hell are you doing, you know, talking to my lady or whatever. And it was like, dude, this lady's laid out on the on the, on the the sidewalk next to the <laughs> airport. Didn't have any luggage or anything, so I don't know what she was doing. Uh, anyway. <laughs> so my, the Uber driver's like, uh, he feels the tension, too. And he's like, uh, everything okay here, guys? And the dude's just still just staring. And, uh... <laughs> he helps the lady back up to her feet, and the dude is still just mad dogging. I'm like, "What are you doing?" He's like, "Do you guys need anything? You guys doing okay?" And uh, the guy's just like, "Nah." And uh, my Uber, <laughs> my Uber driver's like, "Uh, so like, thank you." <laughs> oh man, I don't know what was going on, man. I I do not know what. So he hops back in the car, and we went on our merry way. We. We chatted some more MMA on the way here to the hotel, but uh, that was my introduction to Philadelphia this week, so uh, it was a crazy one, but I laid down, got a little bit of sleep, and uh, now we're up, uh, knocking out the podcast before we head over to the 2300 Arena for CFFC 92, uh, just because you never know what's going to happen late at night, you know, we, maybe we, maybe we go get a cocktail afterwards, maybe we want to have some dinner afterwards, you know, and then... Then uh, poor Cold Coffee, who edits everything together, he's sitting waiting on everything. So, uh, yeah, figured I'd go ahead and get this thing banged out. Like I said, by the time you listen to this, I'm sure CFSC 92 will be done. But uh, really intriguing main event, Alberto Trujillo uh, is the flyweight champion. He came in, if you if you watch CFSC often, you know that he's the guy that came in, trains out of Alliance MMA. He came in last time as, you know, quote-unquote, the opponent for Santo Curatolo, who was undefeated at the time, uh, just knocking dudes out in the flyweight division. Looked like, you know, a shoe-in for the UFC if he, if he were to win. And Trujillo came in and uh, I think actually ended up breaking his leg with some with some low kicks and, and, uh, and, and hurt him and uh, was able to get the TKO win in the second round, claim the flyweight title and kind of upset the guy that had kind of become like a you know a poster boy for CFFC as far as the current generation, um, so he's taking on a guy named Pumi Nakuda, who is two and zero, and he trains under Ray Longo, uh, trains alongside Aljamain Sterling, along Marab Davalashvili, just two and zero in his career, uh, but has been you know training martial arts his whole life. You know started out doing Taekwondo, did wrestling, did jujitsu, um, and has looked really really good in his first two fights. And now he's challenging for the flyweight title. So that's your main event tonight, uh, which looks like a good one. The vacant bantamweight title is on the line in the co-main event as well. Saeed Yukub, Kakaramanov, 
uh, stud Uzbekistani prospect up against Tyson Lin. Tyson Shindachin Lin, uh, who came in and had a great, great uh, knockout victory in his CFSC debut last time. That was back in um, back in November. And uh, he, he, I say not, he, he rocked Phil Caracapa and then ended up choking him out, uh, hurt him on the feet, and then choked him out on the ground. So a uh, couple of big fights there in the uh, in, in the featured fights tonight. And then tomorrow night, really, really excited about this one as well. Uh, middleweight title on the line, uh, a couple of uh, contender series vets, Colin Huckbody, who you remember Colin Huckbody uh, actually got a UFC contract offer when he was on the contender series, but said, hey, Give me a little, give me a little time. He ended up not taking a fight, which is wild. But you know, I think him and his team. He ended up changing camps um, after that. But I think he felt like, man, yes, I got here, but I'm not really fully prepared to compete at the USC level. I need to round out my skills a little bit. Let's not rush this and have the shot, and and then you know, flame out in two fights and never make it back. Um, so he didn't go to the UFC. Um, now. It'll be interesting to see how the matchmakers feel about that. You know, they hold that against them at some point. I, I hope not, because um, to me, it's kind of a commendable thing to do to say, "Look, I know you gave me this offer, but I really don't feel like I'm ready yet. Um, I want to get better, so that when I'm here, I'm here to stay." So, uh, you know, hopefully, like I said, he, he, you know, hopefully that that'll, that'll work out okay with the matchmakers. Because I gotta imagine, you know, I haven't talked to him about it, but I gotta imagine they were probably a little frustrated or confused. So we'll see how it does. Uh, but he's going up against Aaron Jeffrey, who Aaron Jeffrey fought in contender series, but lost. Um, but has since um, he lost to Brandon Allen, of course, who's in the UFC right now. His only other career loss is to Sean Brady uh, in a CFFC fight way back in like 2015, 2016. Um, since the contender series loss, he's had three wins, three finishes, and now he's back as well. So a couple of contender series vets there. Um, and then some familiar names. you got the heavy, uh, the vacant heavyweight titles on the line, Jamel Jones versus Cody Goodell. Um, but I'm really excited to see a couple of uh, Canadian prospects. Uh, the return of Johan Lioness, who's looked phenomenal so far in his CFFC career against Troy Green. And then uh, Canadian women's strawweight Jasmine Jezidavicius, uh, who lost in a title shot. Uh, last time out, but is back, moving up to 125 pounds to take on Ashley Dean. Um, so, some, some some really interesting fights over the next two days. So, hopefully, you get a chance to uh, to pay attention at some point. Um, listen, uh, I, I so as you see, I'm here in Philadelphia. I'm not in Las Vegas, um, but the young Mike Bond has has come out to Las Vegas to cover for me. He's been chilling in Southern California with his uh, with his family. I think ever since we came back from Fight Island. Uh, he's been chilling with his family in Southern California because I think there's like some some border restrictions uh, for him to travel back home to Canada. I think you have to – right now there's like a mandatory – I want to say like a two – I don't know if it's two weeks or not, but I know there's a mandatory quarantine period and you got to pay for it out of your own pocket. You know, you got to go to these designated hotels. I think when we were talking about last time, I think they said the, you know, the quarantine costs like two grand because um, it's got to be at your own expense. The government's not paying for it. I know he wasn't too keen on – I'm paying two grand, so he's been chilling in Southern California. So he went to Vegas, so they are covering USC Fight Night 187. We'll talk about some of that in a little bit. I was watching the media day, even though uh, I wasn't there, and there's some things I definitely want to share from that. But as far as uh, Saturday night comes around, uh, I'm flying home on Saturday morning. Saturday night, USC Fight Night 187, I'll be watching it on TV like everybody else, just like the rest of you guys. We'll still do a and-a-half episode over at patreon.com slash the MMA Roadshow. We'll still be breaking it all down and bringing you some, some audio from on-site and giving you the thoughts on the fight. 
Obviously, that's an exclusive. Every single week after a USC show, we do an and a half episode over at patreon.com slash the MMA Roadshow. You can join us to help support the podcast for as little as $3 a month. And like I said, we do it after every USC show, which is pretty much every damn Saturday night these days. Uh, also got some discussion going on. Had some spirited discussion this past week, man. It got a little got a little heated over there. I, I like the community we have uh, building. It's it's fun. Uh, you know, chatting with people kind of, you get to tune out the noise a little bit because it's just, you know, it's the hardcores. If you're supporting the podcast, you're a hardcore, right? So it's, uh, you know, sometimes it's a little tough to sift through all the Twitter messages and Instagram messages and comments here and there but uh over there at patreon.com slash the roadshow we can you know we, it's just a hard course we can get right to it like i said it got a little got a little heated this week got a little heated this week as we continued to talk about uh the fallout from usc 259 of course man you know the conversation still seems to be centered around aljamain sterling and and his disqualification win over peter Jan and and you know how he handled it afterwards and and whether he was deserving of taking the title and, and all these things and um, you know it's, it's been real interesting to, to to break it down and and to see how people have reacted to it i feel i feel bad for aljamain by the way former cfsc bantamweight champion aljamain sterling just throwing that out there uh but i do feel kind of bad for him and the heat he's taking you know people saying he's he's uh you know he was acting he deserves an oscar that sort of thing simon Simano um actually wrote a column based on this and and I think it's a pretty good column. He doesn't write a ton of columns. Uh you know, he's normally kind of more behind the scenes. He's our managing editor a, a lot of times. He's he's doing a lot of administrative stuff and and you know, speaking to the um you know, the, the USA today, kind of keeping those folks happy and and getting them the reports they need and implementing the technologies and you know all that stuff that has nothing to do with actually reporting on MMA, but it's important to keeping a website running, but he felt so strong about this. He wrote a column. Um, I'm, sure, I'm sure you could find it on there, but if you need to Google it, uh, the title of it is How the Unified Rules Failed Aljamain Sterling at USC 259. And, you know, him and I were kind of talking about this the other day before he wrote the column, and, and we were kind of going back and forth over it. And he brought up an interesting point. He said that, you know, he had a conversation with two people who are not hardcore MMA fans. I think one was even his wife, if I remember right, and somebody else asked him too. The questions were, why wasn't the fight immediately called after the intentional foul, and how come that wasn't an automatic disqualification? And him and I were talking about it, and I was like, well, listen, I mean, you know, I hadn't originally seen the broadcast element of it, so I had to go back and watch the broadcast element, which is good because you can actually hear the referee's microphone a little bit. I wish the commentary wasn't – I mean, look, the commentary needs to, to be discussing it, but, you know, there were some moments where, the, where, where Mark Smith and the doctor were talking that kind of got muffled out by the commentary that I wish we could have seen more of. Um, but, you know, based on the rules, I think Mark Smith and the doctor did everything right. You know, it, when, a, when, a, when a foul occurs, if it's a low blow, uh, you're guaranteed five minutes, right? And the, the thought process there is that, you know, it's it's growing, man. Ain't nobody checking on that. <laughs> we're, not, we're not getting no doctor's evaluation on that. So we'll trust you on that. So you get up to five minutes, and it's your discretion. As a fighter, you take as much of the five minutes as you want. You're guaranteed to get the full five. If you want it, you don't have to take it. With other fouls, it's the referee's discretion. Now, it can't last any longer than five minutes. If it lasts longer than five minutes, the bout has to be stopped. Um, and at that point, you've got to determine if you've got a TKO, no contest, we're going to the cards, whatever the case may be. But it's, it's up to five minutes to evaluate, but it's at the referee's discretion. 
But the point that Simon made, and I hadn't really thought about it before, and it kind of it kind of made me think a little bit, was you know maybe these blows to the head shouldn't be treated that way. Like you know the, the reason you get that five minutes is because you know you get poked in the eye, and, and this is kind of the point he makes, and it's worth reading. You know, you get poked in the eye. Hey, give yourself five minutes. You know, by that time, you know, maybe, maybe the, 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 the eye's not watering up, your vision is clear, everything's good. So it makes sense to give you some time. Same thing with a growing shot, obviously, right? You know, okay, it hurts like hell. Give me a few minutes, I'll shake off the pain a little bit, you know. But head trauma, you know, if, if you're concussed or there's head, like that ain't getting better in five minutes. Um, so his thing was like, look, you know, all this whole point of, of Aljamain, did he did he play it up? Did he, you know, did, was he acting out there, whatever? Um, you know, maybe in a situation like this, you should take that off his plate. You know, if, if I mean, the, the foul, I mean, there's no argument over the foul, right? Everybody knows it's a foul. Everybody knows it's a foul. Still trying to figure out what the hell happened, right? I mean, it's such a weird situation. Um, and I think people have, have keyed in on this. I noticed it, you know, live. Um, was well, the crazy part was like as Peter Jan was stalling in that position and, and, and Sterling was there, um, he yelled something to his corner. Now his corner was yelling at him. We've seen that audio, right? Pahumpa, the longtime ATT coach, is, is saying just punch, just punch, just punch. Uh, his coaches in, uh, that, that are you know speaking in Russian say something to him. Uh, Habib Nurmagomedov told Daniel Cormier that it was to kick. I don't know. I I I, I don't know if that's true or not. But what I did pick up on was, you know, Jan said something to them. And it, to me, it was, it, again, I don't speak Russian at all, but I, I kind of, this is just the impression I got as he was in the position was like they were telling him to knee and it seemed like he yelled at them like, are you sure? Or like, yeah, like a, a knee? Are you, sh- are, are, you, are you okay? And I don't know if he's just trying to protect his team and not want to throw him under the bus because he hasn't said that. But that's what the exchange seemed like to me. Again, I don't know what the actual words were, but that's when he threw the knee. So anyway, no arguing over the knee, but it's it's what the reaction was afterwards. Now, the thing is, like, I went back and watched the broadcast, and again, the commentators are speaking over it, but I never heard anybody ask Aljamain, are, are you okay to go? I think at one point somebody says, are you done? But he doesn't even really answer it. Um, it's, you know, what's your vision like? And he's like, ah, it's a little blurry. It's not as bad when I lay back on my back. Um, you know, but when the fights waved off, I don't think Aljamain thought he was winning the belt. And that's what bugs me about this whole situation is I don't think he thought he was winning the belt. And everybody's like, oh, you took the way out. And and, and, and I said I did, a, I did a podcast earlier this week, and we were talking about this. It was you know somebody else's question. But what occurred to me at that point is, like, look, I mean, we spend our lives around these fighters, right? I mean, we, we've learned what makes them tick. I mean, that's all I've done is talk to fighters every single day for the last 15 years of my life and they all share a very very common you know direction and and kind of way of being in in, in their commitment to the game but i can tell you this like aljamain sterling's goal is not to take home a belt in odd circumstances it's not to get that belt to sit in his house that's a that's a trinket that's a trophy of course it's amazing to have one i mean you know not many people do but that's not what it's about. It's about being the best in the world. It's about being, for even one night, the greatest on the planet is something. And you don't do that by by faking an injury. So, I, I don't know. I just The criticism of Aljamain has been frustrating to me to see. And I feel bad for him. Um, 
you know, you can see how, how difficult it's been for him to process it. Boy, how about uh, Ray Longo coming out and doing some interviews and saying that he's been getting hated? You know what I mean? That's crazy. That's absolutely crazy. Um, why is the coach getting hate? What did he do? Anyway, crazy situation. That's been all the discussion that, that, that continues. And the rest of the discussion seems to be around Hans Molenkamp. Uh, that that story is 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 not going away, and people want to know what makes this guy tick and what the hell's going on with that situation, and uh, we'll see how that all pans out. You know, I kind of gave my thoughts on that as well. You know, I I, I, I won't say that the Dominic's right or Dominic's wrong. You know, there's something in between there. Uh, you know, I think Dana White came out and kind of was like, "Hey, man, you know, you you're sponsored. You got to understand." And he's absolutely right. But my understanding of what's being contested here is is not that the Dominic Cruz is frustrated that he's being required to live up to the terms of his monster energy deal. It's the fact that you know Hans Molenkamp is asking him to do things that are more personal in nature. You know that are um, that are basically you know prop up his page, prop up prop up, uh, you know, t- tag Hans Molenkamp and, and help build him up as this influencer or as this personality versus living up to the terms of the monster energy deal. So um, that to me is, is my understanding of everything that's going on. So, um, you know, hopefully hopefully that gets worked out, you know, I mean, because monster energy is a big player in the game, man, UFC and Bellator. I always thought it was crazy that they get to sponsor both brands. Um, but they do, you know what I mean? They're they're major players with both the UFC and Bellator, and that money trickles down to fighters as well. So, um, you know, hopefully this doesn't sour that relationship because I know that they've helped a lot of people. In fact, you know, even Dominic Cruz has said, look, they've helped me. You know, of course, he was out of the game for a long time, so that sponsorship money was, was helpful, I'm sure. Um, so the fact that he came out and, and spoke about this was certainly surprising, but uh, hopefully that all gets worked out. Monster has said they're going to look into it, um, but nothing you know, really definitive at this point. The other big story seems to be the Dan Hardy situation. I think a lot of people are kind of wanting to know what's going on there. Now, it was initially reported that he was fired from the UFC and BT Sport. Um, you know, We were chatting about it in our own internal uh, you know, MMA junkie chat, and I, I, I cautioned everybody. First, I don't think that's that's right. I don't think you can say he was fired because, you know, it's not a salary position. You're a contract employee. You're picked up on an event by event basis. So if the UFC declines to pick you up for some events, um, I mean, in essence, you're fired. But I don't think you're you're technically fired. So, um, you know, your contracts or, or you're just not your services aren't being utilized. I guess is the way to look at it. Um, but we couldn't get anybody to really talk about it. And Dan has finally come out. And uh, and address the situation. Um, you know, we were aware that, that his guys, the Raptors, um, two you know two really good guys that they got to hang out with a little bit um, over on Fight Island, get to know them a little bit better. Um, but they you know they traveled to the United States for UFC 259 and then weren't allowed in, like weren't weren't credentialed. And I don't, obviously I don't think they traveled with that expectation. So I don't know what the whole situation there was. Um, but it's still ongoing. And, you know, we had known that there was an incident that took place on Fight Island um, where there was just an argument, you know, a, a, an argument of sorts, completely work-related argument, um, but one that got a little bit heated. Uh, and I think Dan actually was asked to, to go home a little bit early, if I, if I recall the situation correctly. Um, and so he left Fight Island. And I thought that was kind of the end of it, to be honest with you. And, and then now all this is popping up, you know, a couple months later. Um 
I know he took some umbrage to the way I think it was BJPenn.com maybe that first wrote it up um, that talked about the fact that it was a female employee just because I think of what can be inferred there that there was some type of you know uh, sexual um, tension nature uh, impropriety and that was not the case at all um, so while yes it was a female employee I think it was important for Dan to, to make sure the world understood that really sex had nothing to do with it you know what I mean it was just a, a work-related argument that got they got heated so um, you know, I, I, I don't think this necessarily has to be the, the end of anything. Again, I don't know exactly what the nature of the argument was and because I didn't think that much about it. I mean, I heard about it. I heard there was an argument, um, but I just thought, well, that's unfortunate, you know, and um, it, it never occurred to me that it would potentially, you know, other than the fact that I did hear that he was asked to, to leave early, um, but it, I, I thought at that point he didn't have any additional work assignments, and I think he was there just kind of picking up on some, you know, stuff for his YouTube channel and, and that sort of thing. And again, if I'm if I'm if I'm representing that wrong, I do apologize because I'm I'm just basing on memory. And again, I didn't research it or write a story. I'm just trying to remember what I what what happened at the time. But I didn't expect it to turn in what it what it what it has turned out to be. So. Um, you know, Dan's a good guy. You know, he, we've seen him get emotional, clearly. You know, the Herb Dean situation. Uh, you know, we, we've seen it. He's passionate, man. But it's it comes from a good place. It, it does. It comes from a good place. Um, and and hopefully, you know, he does. I mean, he has a real love for the sport and a real a real love for the athletes in it and, and what he's doing. And so, um, you know, it, it, I'm just. I hope there can be some reconciliation. You know, the fact that he said I haven't even talked to USC President Dana White about it. Um, you know, I don't even know who's making these decisions or who's made these calls. So hopefully there can be some reconciliation down the road because because Dan is great at what he does. Uh, gets a little bit fired up sometimes, uh, <laughs> uh, but and, you know maybe that's something he'll have to learn. Um, and, and you know, unless he doesn't want to, unless he doesn't want to f- have his opinion filtered or to feel like he can or can't say what he wants to say. Um, you know, maybe he decides I'm not interested in being back in the in the UFC fold because I'm not interested in you know behaving this certain way or, or using these guidelines. That that's completely up to him. Um, but hopefully it can be worked out because he's he's a good dude that's uh, that's just passionate. And by the way, my, should be pointed out too. My understanding is this has nothing to do with his fight contract whatsoever. So you know he keeps teasing that one extra fight. Whether it happens or not, I don't know, but he keeps teasing it. Um, but if he chooses to, my understanding is that uh, it, it can still absolutely happen. So, uh, yeah. Man, all that stuff about stuff that's not even fighting. <laughs> Those are the stories that sell sometimes, right? Those are the things that people want to know about in these in these particular situations. But uh, we got fights too. UFC Fight Night 187. Leon Edwards finally back facing... Bilal Muhammad. Uh, like I said, I will not be there, but I will certainly be tuned in and watching it. But uh, I still was keeping an eye on the media day, and I wanted to share with you some of that in case you weren't able to watch it. Uh, trim down some of these interviews for you, but I want to start out with Leon Edwards, a guy that uh, has had his career, man, put on hold due to COVID, and, and, and the division has changed around him. So it was interesting to, to hear where his you know head was at and what his attitude is like and, and that sort of thing. So I figure we'll start with him. Uh, here is Leon Edwards. Leon, man, uh, about 600 days since you're last in the cage. Just you're here on fight week. How does it finally feel to be back? Um, it feels amazing to be back. It's been a long year and a half. Um, it feels at home, though, since 
since we come, come to Vegas last week, uh, it feels natural. It feels what I've been missing and what I've been working towards. And I'm looking forward to going out there and competing Saturday night. Yeah, and this obviously has been an extremely turbulent road for you to get here. At what point along the way did you kind of just accept that a lot of craziness is going to happen, maybe some disappointments, all these kind of things, and just not let it maybe control your emotions? Um, from the first cancellation, when I meant to fight, fight Tyron Woodley in London, my first headline show back home, and when the show got cancelled on the Sunday before the fight, um, I was a bit frustrated, and as I was trying to get another matchup, I'm trying to travel, um, the world was still, still in lockdown, so I thought, you know what, let's use this time to improve my skills, let's, let's use this time to refocus myself and get better, and when time comes, I'll be ready to fight, and that's what I've been doing over the last year and a half, just improving my skills, improving my mindset, and I am looking forward to competing Saturday night and showing the fans what, what I'm improved on. Yeah, when Hamza fell out of this date, uh, in terms of finding a different opponent, were you just pretty much anyone at that point? It didn't even matter? Yeah, it didn't matter. Um, I think all these guys anyway in, in the top 15, they're pretty much similar. If they're going to fight, if they're gonna fight me, they're going to come and shoot for takedowns, right? So um, Hamza was a wrestler. Bilal is similar. He's, he's like a wrestling background. and. Um, so yeah, once times that fell out for the third time, I thought I'm not waiting again for another reschedule. Let's let's go. And Bill Al stepped up. The first option obviously was Cove Covington. Um, UFC came to me, said, would you, would you fight him? I said, yes. Went to him, he said no. And um, went down the list. Everyone was either injured or to turn the fight down and Bill Al stepped up. So Bill Al is the opponent we've got now. That's who I'm focused on right now. And I'm looking forward to competing against him. And you said you spent a lot of the time obviously working on your skill set. Of course, how different of a fighter are you? I mean, are we going to see a very different product out there than we saw against Rafael Dos Anjos? Yeah, 100%. I have grown leaps and bounds since then. Um, that's 2019, it's 2021 now. And um, when, you're, when you're out of camp, as well, you get time to grow and learn. As when you're in camp, you can't learn as quick because you're only preparing for a certain style of opponent. But when you've got time to just do everything, striking, wrestling, jiu-jitsu, and just cover it all and have time to not rush it. I've learned loads and I'm looking forward to going out there and competing. I, I felt good when I fought RDA, I feel better now. And Dana White told BT Sport, I believe in an interview that came out today, that you're next for the title shot if you give a spectacular performance on Saturday. Um, what does just hearing that mean to you and does that give you a, a boost of any kind going into fight um, night? About time, you know. <laughs> that was my ninth win in a row, so... Um, I'm focused on winning Saturday night. I'm not really focused on the title shot or what's next. You know, I'm focused on Bilal Mohammed. If I go out there and lose to him, then all this goes away. So my 100% focus on Bilal Mohammed. And after that, I'll sit down with my team, with Dana, and we'll see where we'll go from there. Do you just not want to hear Hamzat's name anymore? Like, you know, it's been rescheduled so many times. Do you just, are you done with that? Like, um, until he can show that he's able to compete again, are you just over it? Um, I think most important now is probably his health, right? I know he's going through... Um, bad COVID symptoms, like after effects. And I'm focused now on the, on the world title. After going out there and beating um, Mohammed, that'll be nine wins in a row. That's the third most in the whole promotion history, you know? So I'm looking ahead um, towards the title. But like I said, I wish Hamza good health. If he works his way back up, um, have some good fights. And I'm sure we're going to meet down the line. He's young, I'm young. So we're going to meet one day. But at the moment, I'm focused on being a world champion. When he dropped out this last time, and you heard that news, how, how bad did your heart sink? How bad oh, was it? <laughs> I felt like, oh, I, felt, I felt God was cursing me. I was like, what the hell is going on? Um, well, as soon as the US, I saw to the UFC, they said, okay, we want to keep you in the card, which was good, right? Because before in December and January, they was like, let's reschedule, let's reschedule straight away. So 
when I, when I spoke to them, they're like, okay, we want to keep you in the card. We're trying to find your opponent. The opponent first we mentioned was Kobe Covington. Um, they came to me, I said, yes. They went to Kobe and he said no. Um, so I went down the list. Wonder Boy, Wonder Boy had an injury, so he couldn't do that date. He wanted to do it like in summer or something. I said, I can't do summer. That's like two, three years off. I can't wait for that long. Um, then Bilal Muhammad stepped up. So this is the opponent we got. He's a tough opponent. He's durable. So it's a good, it's a good fight. Without getting too deep into it and, and without getting too personal, like financially, you haven't fought for ages. Yeah. Did you just need to fight in March? Like I need nah. to pay. Nah, I nah, nah, saving money good. Um, I've, I'm still spending money from like four fights ago. You know, I don't really spend money like that. I get paid from sponsorships. I got stuff to do at home. You know what I mean? So I don't. I'm not really. That's the reason why I was able to hold out for that long, um, to trying to find the right opponent. I weren't in a rush. As if he was in a rush, yeah, you had to fight, right? And the reason why I wanted to compete in March was the time was just dragging on, dragging on. I couldn't, I couldn't wait for that long to... I'm young, like I said, I'm only 29 years old, so if I wait till summer, I'll be 13 August. I can't, I can't wait for that, you know what I mean? So um, that, that was it, really. I, wanted, I just wanted to compete. Just realize you're younger than me. That makes me... <laughs> um, a couple of more things. Were you surprised Covington turned down the fight? Um, no, he's a, he's a social media fighter. He's... That went out there, got... Knocked out by the champion, um, beat um, basically over the hill Woodley. He's like, now I want, I want a title shot straight away. He's like demanding, demanding stuff they don't deserve. You know, I've, I've been here, I've worked my way back up um, the hard way, and nothing handed handed out to me. So um, I, I weren't surprised. I weren't surprised at all. What do you think it is about your division that um, the top level fighters seem to just kind of? want to sit and wait for their opportunity to just pop back up. You know, Colby doesn't want to fight until it's Usman again. Masvidal doesn't want to fight until it's Usman again. It's like they kind of, they feel they have a name value, so they just wait for that opportunity to sort of just show itself again. What yeah. is it like? It's why? just a, a division of divas, right? They think they deserve stuff. And uh, when you don't, you just got beat for the toll. I don't understand. They're like, a whole bunch of like little sissies. And I'm, I'm the only one that's in the top five that's taking this kind of risk. You know, when, when Hamza come on the scene, all the top guys, like, I ain't fighting him, I ain't fighting him. I'm too high ranked. I'm like, okay, I'll, I'll fight him. Yeah. Um, Bilal Muhammad, number 13, I'll fight him. I'm showing these guys that I am willing to compete and I believe I'm number one. If I believe I'm number one, it doesn't matter who's number two and three. So you can slide one in, put one in, and it doesn't matter. Um, and that's my mental state with, with the fight game. If you believe you're really number one, what does it matter who's next and who's one, two, three, four, five? Just give me a fight. Um, if it makes sense in my career, then I'll do it. And then uh, last thing for me, Masvidal says, you know, he's fighting Usman in September. I don't think that's official yet, but it looks like they're going to do the ultimate fighter and then fight later in the year. Are you prepared to wait out for the winner of that? Because that might be next year before you get to fight again. Yeah. Or do you want to um, just get another one in, try and keep some momentum going athletically? Yeah, for sure. I'd like to fight um, summer probably. Uh, if they do make a fight, then I'll look to fight someone else. Um, I'm not looking to sit out again for another year. Um, so we'll see. I'm, like I said, I'm focusing on Mohammed. I'll go out there, take care of business, look good doing it. Then we'll see. I know the fight ain't been made yet, so there's still options to slide me in there, you know, and so we'll see. It's a Colby fight. That's what that's the one, right? Yeah, yeah. And then you touched on a little bit earlier, um, but if you could just again break it down, looking at Bilal, where is he dangerous? What sort of things are you really having to keep in your mind when you're going in there to fight with him? Um he's he's a decent, I think he's decent everywhere to fight. He's a good striker, he's a good um wrestler, but let's believe him better over the board, um, wrestling, jiu-jitsu, striking. Um, but I think his game, plan, his game plan is going to be shoot for his life, <laughs> shoot double legs for his life, and, and that's it. But at this level, I've faced many opponents like that already. Um, I know if I fight somebody, they're going to be trying to take me down, right? And 
that's just what it is. Like I said, you can all these top 15 guys, you can swap them in and out and they'll come with the same game plan. So it's not really rocket science what they're going to try to do. They won't try, try to stand with me. So um, even shooting for his life and hoping to, to grind out a victory, but I'm, I'm going to fucking take it off and I, I cannot wait for it. That, that kind of answered my last question was going to be what, what things really need to play out to make sure you get your hands raised in victories? Is it just going out there, controlling the pace, being first? What sort of things need to happen to make sure that um, you get your arm raised? I have to go out there and bully him. I think that's what I have to go out there and do and just show him that I am leaps above him. and Not just with the rankings, just physically, mentally, and um, technique. You know what I mean? So um, I have to go out there and bully him and impose my will on him and show him that I am, I am a different animal to what he's been fighting. All right, so Leon Edwards there. Uh, to me, saying the right things, man. I mean, you know, mentally sounds like he's in the right place. You know, understanding of his position, uh, not frustrating, which that's was that concerned me a little bit, man. I was, I was you know, where where would his head be at? Where is his foot? Would he come in with a chip on his shoulder? Would he be angry at the world? Um, and would that be would that have you know any kind of negative uh, detriments to him? Uh, and it sounds like he's in the right place, you know, and, and has a good understanding of, of the division and, and where he stands and what has to happen. And um, uh, I will say it was good to hear that, that financially, you know, he's doing OK. So that's good to know, you know, that he's been able to kind of rely on that and, and not be in a bad spot. But um, I don't know. Sounds good, man, which I think is good to hear, man. It's good to hear that guy back, man. He's been through a lot. And, and you know, some of his points are fair about the welterweight division, right? Like. Why, why does it take so long to move things forward to this division? What is it about this division that everybody's, nah, that fight doesn't make sense to me. Nah, I'm holding out for this fight. Nah, nah. And I guess, look, I guess it's not just this division. I guess that happens everywhere. But it just seems in this one, there's a lot of personalities and a lot of stars and a lot of people that are holding out for this and holding out for that. And this isn't the right situation. That's not the right way um, to make it work. So, I don't know. It, it just, I, I, it's to me, it's, uh, I don't say the guy's a breath of fresh air, but yeah, you know, it's like, dude, let's go. Let's go. And it's such a weird balance in the sport because you do get to a point where it's it's not wise necessarily to take, like, the Cowboy Cerrone approach, right? Like, yeah, I'll just fight anybody, anywhere, anytime. You know, there, there comes a place where you do need to manage your career a little bit better and, and take the right opportunities and get the right contracts and all that good stuff, you know? Damn it, man! It just—it feels so good when people are like, "Let's just go. I'll fight. Line them up. Let's do this." You know, we like that as fans, right? We like that. Just—I don't. I hate hearing about. Well, so and so is not not sure this works for him, and ah, he's holding out for this, and now they're leaning in this direction, but so and so doesn't want that. Man, I I get it. It's a reality, but as a fan, right? All you want to hear is, "Dude, they offered me this fight, and I jumped on it. Let's go." You know, so uh, we'll see. That said, uh, it's a long layoff for Leon Edwards. And so that's that's clearly the concern here, right? Um, Bilal Muhammad is, you know, deserves a lot of credit for jumping up and taking this opportunity. But it's a good risk to take for Bilal Muhammad. I don't want to say there's nothing to lose here, right? Because, I mean, he does have a, a, a nice record and he is nice momentum. And, you know, you don't want to lose and then people look at you and go, ah, you had that one little taste at the top and look, you know, you got absolutely crushed and, and, and we see that you don't belong. 
You know what I mean? You don't you don't want that to happen. So to say, oh, it's a no lose situation. No, no. <laughs> you know, and it's more than just a loss. You know, if you take a bad loss, people can say, oh, you know, that guy got his first taste of the elite competition. We saw that he's not elite elite level, uh, and, and so that that can be a hard you know, reputation to, to have and, and overcome. So there is a risk for Bilal Muhammad taking this fight. But I think it's a wise, calculated risk. I mean, when you look at the style that Leon Edwards possesses, you know, great striking, of course, but Bilal Muhammad has great striking as well and a good chin and aggressive. Um, you know, it's not a situation where you're facing a, a specialist. You know, like a dude, you know, I, well, you may hate to use a, a name like Habib because, I mean, Habib is just an absolute monster. But, you know, you, you, you think if, like, Bilal was stepping up to face the best wrestler in the division, you wouldn't necessarily want to do it on short notice and you'd want to actually have some, some time to prepare for it and, you know, that sort of thing. Or if it was the greatest jujitsu, you know, if you're, if, you're, if you're stepping in against, you know, vintage, prime, Demi Amaya, uh, you know, you probably want a little time to, to brush up, you know. But I think, you know, Leon, I don't want to say he doesn't present any spectacular challenges, but he's just a really good, well-rounded fighter, right? There's, I don't think It's what you've been training your whole life to compete against is really good fighters. You know, that's what you're wanting to face, but not one that does one particular thing so well that you really need some time to focus on that. And you're getting him on this layoff. You're getting him on the layoff. So does that pay off for you? You know, is there the the ring rust, you know, the cage corrosion, as more Ronaldo used to say. Um, is it there? We're going to find out. We're going to find out. And that's that, to me, is so intriguing. I like Bilal Muhammad a lot. Who doesn't? You know what I mean? I met the guy before he made it to the UFC. I thought his attitude was great. I commentated his final fight in Titan FC, and I, and I loved his style, relentless. Uh, you know, so from the beginning, from the time he came into the UFC, I was a fan. And then now, who's not a fan of his, uh, you know, social media presence and just his attitude and uh, all the things he does? He's just a fun guy to be around, right, man? He's in, and uh, he's he's a good dude. But I do believe if both fighters are fighting at a hundred percent, if both fighters are fighting at a hundred percent, I take Leon Edwards. But what if Leon's at 90? You know, or what if just that timing is off a little bit to start? And Bilal can really capitalize. And he's going to be aggressive. He is not going to give you time to think. He's not going to give you time to kind of just, you know, hop into a rhythm a little bit, feel the pace out a little bit. No. No, he's going to come at you. Or, <laughs> here's the flip side. Is Bilal not able to push that pace the way he'd like to because it's a five-round fight? You know? I don't think that'll be an issue. But you never know. It's in his head. Maybe, you know, maybe he's thinking, ooh, I got I to gotta temper myself a little bit, you know. I saw what happened to Aljamain Sterling, who was out the box, going three rounds hard, setting this crazy pace, but was fading pretty quick. Um, so I'm intrigued by this. I'm intrigued by this. You know, Leon Edwards, Dana White came out and told BT Sport, if he wins, he gets the next title shot. And I think that's awesome. Um, I've told you guys this a couple times. I think you could really – see the psychology in what Dana White and the UFC felt when the Hamzat fight fell apart. You remember Dana was doing that scrum. And, 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 you know, Dana never likes to commit to too much, right? I mean, he, it's always, you know, well, we'll see what happens. Ah, we'll get together. We'll talk to Matt, blah, 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 blah. You know, he always kind of plays it close to his vest. But, you know, 
he laid it out there. He's like, Leon will take anybody. You know, he took Hamzat, which is down in the rankings. Um, nobody wants to fight him, but he said, I'll take it. You know, Hamzat falls out. Now we got to go up the rankings. You know what I mean? And you could just see they wanted to reward him. And so, you know, would Leon necessarily be the most deserving of a title shot next? Uh arguable, right? It's arguable. I mean, the other top contenders have, have all been beaten uh, by the champ. So at least in terms of it being fresh blood, fresh talent, you know what I mean? A fresh name. Yeah. Um, but because of his inactivity, you know, I think some other people have, have, uh, have kind of elevated themselves into a better position, but I certainly would argue with it, especially when you consider the circumstances. So I think he's fighting for a title shot. Bilal, on the other hand, is saying, look, I think I could sneak in and, and, and steal this title shot. I don't know if that's going to be the case, um, but it doesn't hurt to come with that attitude, right? At, at the very least, you win this fight, man, now you're, you're up there and you're getting discussed with those big names, right? Now, now you know, you're getting, you're getting matched up. You know, at that point, I think you, you blow by the, the Jeff Neals of the world, the, the Michael Chiesas of the world, the, the, um, you know, Vicente Luque's of the world. I think you jump by them, even though I hate to say that, you know, I think you start moving up into that to now you're in the conversation to face Wonder Boy, maybe I was going to say, maybe, you know, I, I was going to say you're in the conversation to face Masvidal, but it looks like Masvidal and Usman are going to fight. Um, you know, Covington, maybe. Who, who knows? You know, we'll, we'll see. But it, I think now you're in that discussion. You're having those kind of fights. So intriguing main event. And uh, listen, I, I love nothing more than being K-Side, but I'll tell you what, sitting at home on my couch watching fights, I don't get to do that very often either. So uh, I'm looking forward to it. Calling fights the next two nights and then just getting to be a fan and watch them on Saturday night. So uh, Bilal Muhammad obviously uh, spoke to uh, the media as well. And when I say the media – uh, I, I didn't see the room, but I was listening to the whole media day, and I, I don't, I didn't hear a lot of people asking questions other than, uh, other than the young Mike Bond, uh, Hot T over there, Oscar Willis from the uh, World MMA Award nominated Mac Life, and uh, and our own Cold Coffee jumping in there, you know, not just running a camera anymore. He's he's reporting as well. So anyway, uh, here was a little bit about uh, from Bilal Muhammad. You got You got You got to hear from Bully B, main event Muhammad. Main event Muhammad. We over here. <laughs> How's it feel to actually be here in the fight week and be actually going through this process to headline your first card? Uh, it's been amazing. You know, it just literally feels like it's all a part of the same trip that I was just on when I fought Lima. So it was like same people, same hotel. It just feels like it's a normal day for me now. What was the, the health status coming out of the Lima fight? Because I think that was kind of maybe, was that the only thing potentially like holding you back from maybe taking this opportunity or the damage to the legs or anything like that? No, like literally after a couple of days, I was, I was fine to go. You know, I, I hit up the right people. I called Paul Felder, you know, the guy who's literally fought the best kickers in the game. I was like, hey, how long did you like her? And he sent me like a picture of his like super bruised and black. And I was like, all right, I'm not there. So we're good. I used it for a little bit. I was fine. Once I found out that I had a fight, I was like, all right, let me go jog. And then uh, it felt good jogging. So that's all I really needed to know. Yeah, when Dana White was asked about you stepping in here, like obviously it seemed Colby Covington was the first priority a little bit, but... He just said, Bilal wanted this, and he really chased this opportunity. Um, how did it go down from your perspective to get this fight? Yeah, you know, I was, uh, at first, when I fought Lima, I thought that Covington had the fight already. So then, uh, that's why I didn't call him out after my fight. But if I knew that, I would have called him out on the mic. You know, this is the fight I want. This is the, I want to fight the best guys. All these guys are sitting here on the sidelines, not wanting to fight. But we're prize fighters. This is what we get paid to do. So, like, 
for me to get an ESPN main event against the number three guy in the world and a guy that Dana White just said if he wins, he's going to fight for the title next, boom, I'm going to go out there. I'm going to steal a shot. Yeah, is that what you think you could do? Do you think you could slide in here and maybe get the next title shot with the win here? Oh, definitely. I'm going to go out there. I'm going to put on a performance that people aren't going to forget. It's going to be one of those performances. It's like, what have you done for me lately? That's what people remember. What, like, who's the last guy? So me coming out there, putting on a, a great fight, a great show, and finishing in Leon Edwards, then they're going to be like, the fans are going to be wanting this fight. They're going to be like, you know, Masvidal just lost him. Masvidal is not that good. We don't care about his following, yada, yada, yada. This guy just fought. He earned it. So let's give him the shot. And I saw you retweet the clip of Kamaru Usman talking to John Morgan uh, about you and saying, you know, don't sleep on Bilal, basically. Like, he's a, he's a really dangerous guy. Um, what did it mean to you? Not that you need anyone's validation or anything like that, but to hear the champ talking about you in that light. You know, it, it means a lot because, you know, the, the, the fans, there's a lot of fans out here who look at rankings and say this fight doesn't make sense. But, like, fighters, real fighters, real coaches, they know this is a good matchup. They know that skill for skill, we're, we're neck and neck. We're, we're good with each other right now. And this is a fight that I'm going to win. And, you know, my coaches, my team believe in me. But knowing that the champ got his eyes on you, the champ sees you. Uh, I just was with the GOAT right now, Habib Nurmagomedov. And he was, like, giving me pointers about my last fight and telling me, I'm like, dang, you watched my last fight? He's like, brother, brother, yes. And I'm like... It just means a lot that you have the respect of your colleagues. That's, that's the only people I really care about. Those are the only people that matter to me because those are the ones that really understand the sport, understand the game. And as far as Leon, he's been out, it'll be 600 or so days since between fights. 600? Yeah, something like that. So for him, I mean, he claims, we just talked to him a bit earlier, that he's a completely different fighter. He won't be recognizable from the last time we saw him. How do you prepare for that? I mean, do you just have to go off the tape from the RDA fight and before that? Or do you, can you prepare for potential strides he's made since then? For me, I don't, I'm not a big tape watcher. You know, it's one of those where I let my instincts do the talking for me. My coaches will watch, see little subtleties, but... There is no substitute for cage time, for fight time. You know, you can sit there and spar and you can lift all these extra weights and say, I got the best nutritionist and I got the, the best mental coach. But on fight night, on that night, you have to show up. You have to be there on that night. You have to be that fighter that day. And for me, I literally was just in there. So, like, it's just another day in the office for me. He hasn't been in there a while. And for you to take that much time off and then to fight a guy like me, a guy that's going to be in your face, a guy that's going to be freaking making you sweat, making you bleed, making you breathe hard. That's a, that's a whole different experience that he hasn't felt in a while. And he hasn't even felt with anybody he's recently fought. So like, it's a whole different experience. And he's going to realize that he needs that case time. He should have fought somebody else. He should have waited for somebody else because he's going to lose his opportunity of getting that title fight after this fight. Obviously, I mean, he's, he's been out for too long, but do you think there's, there could be a balancing act, right? Like, if you're not fighting regularly, then you're saving yourself from damage and stuff like that, and you can improve on your skills. So do you think there's perhaps there's some benefit to not being as active as other fighters? I mean, there's some benefit, but then it's, it all goes back to how you're training. Because I know some guys that will sit there, lose their career in the practice room. They'll sit there, spar super hard, kill each other in the practice room. So for me, I don't do that. My team, we're like the smartest training partners. We go like kind of like Max Holloway, where it's like light sparring. Every, we don't have to, you're not going to condition your chin in practice. Your, your chin's not going to get better condition. You're only going to lose years off your life from that. Uh, that's where I feel like guys lose. In the cage, unless you're getting knocked out regularly, if you're winning, fight every week. It don't matter. But, like, if you're training smart, uh, if, you have the, if you're eating right, like, I didn't have to, you know, after a fight, you sit there, you go, you have some gluttony. You go to freaking McDonald's, Taco Bell, you eat terrible, but you just had eight weeks of eating healthy. Your body was perfect. Everything was going good. But then after that win, you want to celebrate. So you eat terrible. So like, I didn't go through that process. So I probably put an extra five years of my life by not having to eat that splurge of uh, fatness. Well, speaking of that, and you kind of touched on it, um, 
this is such a quick turnaround for you as well. Are you feeling 100%? You know, I know there's a lot of time, there's always been a nagging injuries that fighters just work through, um, and then they just, you know, here's another fight and they take it. But are you feeling 100% in this one? And were there any things that, you, that maybe a little time off would have maybe did a little bit better? Or would you, are you glad that you're getting right back in there? Honestly, this is like the perfect scenario for me. I feel good. I felt perfect. Uh, like I said, you, this is, you're usually going into fights injured because of long camps. You're overthinking it. You're watching a million hours of tape. You're stressed. You can't sleep because you're like, oh, did I do this? Did I do that? Oh, I forgot to look at the way he, he walks to the cage and stuff like that. For me, this is all simple. It's a lot easier. I don't have to overthink the process. My body feels good. I was just in the cage. Um, and thankfully, like, I made it here healthy. That's, that's the biggest goal whenever you're doing a long camp or something like that. It's just getting to fight week healthy. So uh, for me, that, that last fight, I was good after a couple days, literally. And I was jogging. I was ready to work out. So, like, it was like I didn't need hard sparring because I literally just hard sparred with Diego Lima. And it was just all about getting your timing right, switching to fighting a southpaw, getting my mind right. But I already fought five southpaws in the cage. Uh, Jeff Neal is probably a better southpaw than Leon Edwards. I fought with him. I trained with him. So I, I understand the process already. And, you know, we've had other fighters, especially a guy like uh, Dom Cruz or something, it's like, oh, ring rust isn't real. It's, it's a mental thing or, or this and that. But when, what is your opinion on that? And you're looking at a guy, and, and you kind of touched on it earlier, that has been away for so long. Is it just about being out of the, the fight speed, you know, of the, 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 the speed of how it will play out there? Or is it getting hit? I mean, what are the, what are the biggest things that you think is really going to affect him going into this fight? The biggest thing that's going to affect him is, uh, you know, experiencing – a guy that's going to be in your face for this long. Like, ring rust, it, it, it doesn't matter if you're going against a guy that's going to allow you to get your timing in the cage, allow you to stay on the outside, All right, get comfortable a little bit, throw a jab here, move around, move around. But I'm not that guy. I'm going to be a guy that's going to be in your face, walking you down, making you look to your corner for advice. I'm not going to let him breathe. So he's, he hasn't experienced that in the UFC. And I know he didn't experience that at practice. And this ain't practice. This is fighting. So, like, for me – I'm gonna be that. I'm gonna have to push him to his limits. I'm gonna push him to his breaking points, and that's gonna be his issue. You know, he hasn't felt that in 600 days or however long it is. So for him to get that all in one day, it's gonna be the worst 25 minutes of his life. And on the flip side, you sort of said, "Here's a guy that shouldn't have been holding out. He should. He should have picked up a fight. He should have did something." But you want to steal his shine, and you want to try to get that title opportunity afterwards. Are you willing to kind of sit out and wait to get that opportunity? Should you get a wonderful finish or a wonderful performance and get the victory here? And you're put in that same situation. Will you take a fight if it, if it presents itself? Or will you, will you say, I think I'm ready for that title shot and hold out for it? No, I'm, I'm going to be one of those guys always going to say, especially if it's Kobe Covington, because after this fight, that's, that's who's next to him. And I hate that guy's guts. If I ever see that guy in the street, I'm hitting him. So it's one of those where obviously that's a fight that I would, I would want that fight before Usman because stylistically that's a fight that, that makes sense and that's going to prepare you for the Usman fight, who's the champion. So um, for me, it's just keeping the momentum going. If I could keep fighting, if I'm God willing, I'm healthy, inshallah, win this fight. And if they want to get me back here a month later against Kobe, why not? I'm down. And finally, what are, the, what are all the things that need to line up and what needs to happen to make sure that you get your arm raised on Saturday night? The only thing that needs to line up is that the car is going to have to pull up on time to the arena. I need to get out the car. I need to get my hands wrapped. And once I'm in that cage, I'm winning this fight. Best of luck. Thank you, bro. Well, just to follow up for you, um, I know you've not spoken highly about Colby in the past, but you said you hate his guts. Why is that the case? What did he do to make you feel that strongly about him? Man, I just hate evil people like you could sit there and say it's a character it's that it's that but like you're, you want to say the things that he says and the things that the way he talks about people the way he disrespects people like like i said i'm from chicago so like those type of people 
we don't let you talk like that. So if you if you say something like that about people I know, people I respect, you're gonna get slapped. You're gonna get you're gonna get hurt. It's not gonna happen. So uh, for me, it's all about this is a sport like you said. It's martial arts. So it's about respecting people. You don't have to sit there and you, there's ways to do trash talk and there's ways uh, being just very disrespectful to countries to to groups of people, to Muslims, the way he's disrespected religion, uh, he disrespected Habib, who's like the face of the Muslim uh, MMA community. And like for, for him to do something like that and to like think it's, a, oh, it's all a part of the act. This ain't no act. Uh, when we see face to face, you're gonna know that your act just got you beat up. Would a fight between you guys, if that did come to fruition, would it be hard to keep your emotions in check to a degree? Like would that be something that you maybe not experienced going into the cage against a fighter before? No, I mean, uh, I've, I've been in a bunch of street fights in my life that, you know, I had to do out of anger and you see red and it's like that. So it's like, for me, I'm one of those guys where it's just another day in the office. I mean, I never get emotional when it, when it comes down to fighting. It never gets in a cage. I hate him, but it, I think it'll just build up for the lead up. That's the only time I get emotional is just like leading up. But like, I'm one of those guys that could flip a switch where I could sit there and talk trash about you right now and be angry about you, but I don't even know you. But, uh. Or I could just be calm, cool, and collected blah. And last thing, um, you've talked several times over the years about this division, the guys aren't willing to fight below and things like that, and it's been harder for fighters like yourself to climb and get into the, the rankings and all that. Do you feel like for you to make this leap in your career that you plan to have Saturday night, it had to go down like this, like someone like a Leon who lost a big opponent and it created an opportunity for someone like you? Yeah, literally me and my coach were, just, were talking about it too when they first booked this fight. We were like, man, watch, watch. One of them is going to pull out. We have to be ready. We have to stay ready because that's the only way these guys are going to say yeah when they have to say yeah. Because if you, you would have offered him an eight-week camp against me, he's going to say, well, it's not worth it. Same way he did with Wonderboy. He said it wasn't worth it. Why am I going to fight down? I deserve this. He feels like he, he's, he deserves all these things. And now he put in a situation where he had to say yes to this fight. And for me, like, I won eight of my last nine. He's won eight of his last nine. We have the same record. And I feel like I fought on tougher opponents. Why, why has he fought on tougher opponents? Because he's beat Donald Cerrone. He's beating uh, Dos Anjos. But those guys were all on losing streaks when he beat them. Those guys, they, they already had a, a notes of how to beat them. And then the guys that, that beat him before were Kobe and Usman. So he just followed the same uh, play, playbook. So for me, I felt like I fought on tougher guys that were coming off wins. And like Dustin Poirier always says, paid him full. Like this was a long road. I had ups and I had downs. But I belong here. It's not one of those things where it was given to me. I had to earn this. I had to say yes to this fight. Uh, it wasn't like it was just given to me. All right, Bully B. He's a nice guy, but uh, he ain't taking no shit either. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> uh, big opportunity for him, man. Props to, props to him for rolling the dice here. Uh, and I am, I am intrigued by this fight. Uh, we did lose. Uh, overall, the card's not not uh, not the, not the biggest, but I, I think it should be pretty good. We did lose uh, Ben Rothwell, Philippe Lenz. That's been moved to a later date. Misha Serkinov versus Ryan Spann. Uh, an intriguing fight there for both guys who have had some kind of consistency issues over the years. Um, you know, I think Serkinov is probably going to want to take that fight to the ground and, and uh, use his grappling abilities there. But uh, we'll see how that one plays out. Um, Dan Ige versus Gavin Tucker. This could be a lot of fun as well. And, um, you know, Ige, of course, is a, a, a big favorite 
uh, in the Vegas area, man, you know, he's such a good dude and, and, uh, you know, he's, he's always been fun to, to be around and to, and to come hang out with him. He's always giving great interviews. Uh, but we featured him before. I want to feature Gavin Tucker. I don't know if you know this guy very well. Um, if you've seen, uh, much of him, you know, he, he has had what, I guess five appearances in the UFC at this point. Uh, you know, seems to be, one of the most talented Canadian prospects right now, making his way up the charts. Uh, impressive career record thus far. Um, this is a big moment for him, and and props again to, to Dan Ige for, for taking this fight. You know, Dan Ige was originally supposed to fight Ryan Hall here, so that was a kind of a, a big matchup for him. Uh, Ryan Hall had to, had to bow out, and Ryan said, hey, can we delay this? And Ige said... I can't, you know, he's about to have a kid and he's like, I need to fight on this date and, and, and make that paycheck and then be able to take some time off to help raise my kid. Uh, so he kind of just took whoever was out there. Tucker is not, you know, kind of in the same, uh, you know, I, I don't want to say the same ballpark in terms of recognition rankings, that sort of thing. But no, I mean, he's just a newer name. He hasn't, he hasn't uh, had quite the experience that Ige has at this point, but Ige said, yeah, man, I, I said, I needed to take a fight. I'll take the fight. Um, Gavin, I've seen him fight. I've been, I've been impressed by what I see. Um, you know, got a got a submission win over my boy Justin James. Uh, got a decision win over over Billy Q. Um, I've I got a win over Sung Woo Choi, who I'm, I'm actually very high on as well. So you know, has has had a, a couple of impressive victories in a row. Um, but you know, you still don't know. I think where the 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 ceiling is, I guess, so to speak. You know, where where is the where will he top out? But this is the first time I think I've really heard him talk at length. Um, this dude is intense, and I like it. I like what he's bringing to the table. So I had to share this. Uh, here's a little bit of Gavin Tucker, um, and I think you're going to like it. Gavin, a huge fight for you here, man. Um, just to get this opportunity after the road you've had so far in the UFC, is this just kind of feeling like you're, you're finally where you want and need to be? They're all big fights, you know, so I just I try not to think about that, the, the, the pressure that comes with top 10 fights and stuff like that. Of course, I'm grateful. What an opportunity. Uh, but I'm just going to treat it like I do every other fight, focus more on the specifics of what it takes to win rather than what the fight means after the fact. Because that's just that's not a thing unless you do what's necessary first. So. And before this fight came to be, there was reports out there that you were going to be fighting Cub Swanson. Can you just talk about exactly what happened with that from your perspective? Because it seems like it was maybe never actually over kind of the finish line in terms of being made. Yeah, I can only speak from my perspective. I thought the fight was done. I'm not sure what went on on the backside of the, the, from the industry and the things, but uh, I accepted the fight and I was, you know, obviously honored to fight Cub. Cub's a legend and I'm not sure what happened, if it was injury or miscommunication or whatever. From my end, we accepted and uh, move forward and I thought it was there because it had gotten announced on some um, websites and media pages I saw so I just assumed okay we're in business and move forward and uh, then later found out it wasn't so I'm not sure I wish him the best hopefully there's no injury or anything of that nature but uh, yeah I'm not sure exactly what happened and then I got a call obviously for Ige so at the end of the day I, I, I jumped the queue on that one so it turned out fine either way I was going to say, like, does that, I'm sure, you know, Cub, like you said, a legend, a big name. I'm sure you want to fight him, but to have this as the alternative, obviously Dan coming off a main event, uh, ranked and all that stuff, it probably makes accepting maybe any disappointment there a little bit easier. Yeah, they're all tough. I think every fight's a big fight, whether they're ranked or not, you know, like you, and Cub was number five in the world, I think, at one point, maybe even higher. So I think people kind of seem to forget that as well. But um, 
yeah, obviously this one's this one's got a number beside it and um, bigger rewards. And, um, so I'm grateful. Big opportunity. I think it says a lot about Dan as a competitor as well to be able to kind of pay things forward. The chances he got, he's paying them forward to me. So it's a lot of respect there and um, appreciation. I think we're going to have a great uh, a great competition on Saturday. Yeah, it's great to hear you hear that because uh, or hear you say that because Dan was here earlier and he basically said as much that you know uh, people have given me my opportunities and I feel like it's kind of my responsibility to give Gavin his chance. Um, do you think that's something maybe in the fight game, especially these days with UFC rankings and those kind of things, like enough people aren't willing to do that to a degree? Yeah, but Dan's a different kind of fighter. I think as a man, you can see that, and um, his team around him, Coach Eric and guys like that, I have a lot of respect for. They they seem to do things really like a, a really solid way. Um, you know, address and go forward with respect in a really solid way. So only expect that from him. I don't know. I can't tell you about what the other competitors are like. I know the top ten, top five has been tied up for a long time. Maybe you guys don't want to pay it back, but that's not I, that's not something that I know for certain. I just I see a lot less movement in the top ten than I do in the rest of the division. I don't know if fights there are harder to match, and I can't imagine Sean Shelby's job is very easy, especially when you're looking at the top guys and how it all um, sorts out. But uh, Dan's been consistent since he started. He wants to fight, and I know he lost his opponent, so I'm very, very happy to step in and very happy he's uh, given the opportunity and the UFC's given me the opportunity to do it. Yeah, in terms of your training, I mean, are you a guy that's just constantly always ready? Because obviously the, the Cub fight was supposed to happen in May, and this is significantly sooner. So how did you feel? I mean, in terms of the training, do you feel like you got all the time you needed for this fight? Yeah, I fight it. I fight every Saturday. I fight every Saturday at, at Titans and Vanilla. Saturday so this is uh, this is a great opportunity people say short notice and I just dismiss it I've been ready and <clears throat> since the last fight my first fight I got a bonus in I put a home gym in I've been training the whole month of January I've been doing three a days velocity based training worked on my eyes worked on everything and so much so many big improvements I've made so as far as people thinking I'm coming off a three-week camp that's that's just not the case that's just not the case this is and people won't be able to say it after I waited it out three weeks or whatever I put in a full camp I came here at a great weight. I came in at the best weight of coming on. My diet's on point. My training's on point. I'm living the life. So that when these opportunities come up, they're, they're, they're my opportunities to take. Great to hear. And last thing for me, I'm sure you get this question a lot back home, but as the uh, Canadian in the room myself, I'm sure you know, I kind of got to ask, like, in terms of the promising Canadian talent, it seems like you're really just trending towards the, the right direction and being you know, one of the prominent names. Um, do you embrace that at all? I mean, it seems like in the post-GSP, Rory McDonald era and the UFC, there just hasn't been that person. Um, is that some, like a role you want to fill? Do you even care? Is it something you're, you're passionate about? What would you kind of say in terms of that? Again, it's not it's not something that I personally focus on as far as what I want to be to other people because the first thing that has to get handled are the specifics to get these victories. The after effect, the thing, I'm I'm from a small town in Canada too, Newfoundland, so or a small uh, town in Newfoundland in Canada. So my main my main um, motivation is is to fight and. I want to represent myself well and the country well. I have Feroz in the corner, who's obviously uh, got it. A lot of people into doing the same, and I'm I'm gonna do what I do: show respect and do that do that typical Canadian thing that, that we do, and uh, go in there and win fights, and and uh, yeah, and, and hopefully do it in the right way that people can look at it and say, ah, oh, he's a respectful kid. Is that in here trying to make money or just gain Instagram followers or money? I'm here for truth and and victory.
when I hear you talk about Dan, I, I can hear a lot of respect in your voice, especially when you said that him and his team do things that, like a good way in this sport. You know, they don't sort of pick and choose their fights. Do you wish that was the norm? Because it's becoming, that's rarer and rarer almost, it seems, in this sport. I hate to say this again, but I don't think about it too much. I think that at the end of the day, everyone's trying to <clears throat> protect their careers and have a good career and make money, feed their families and stuff like that. So I think it, it's, it depends on who you are, where you are, what your team is, how much you have to lose, how much you have to gain, how many miles you have to feed, everything else. So I'm not trying to judge people for, for not doing it, but I think at the end of the day, fighters fight. You know, it's like, uh, can you go? Yes, then go. That's just what it is. This is the job. It comes with the stresses. They're normal stresses. And I, um, I've been laid up for a long time too, and people may make assumptions. But my main thing was health. I, I trained myself into holes and trenches constantly. And, um, I think that a lot of these fighters, like I say, that haven't fought in over a year that are healthy or people that are out on USADA suspensions and not to make assumptions and stuff like that too. But I don't, I don't, uh, I'm not really certain on why things get tied up. But it's great to see for shows and from a fan's perspective to see competitors uh, being consistent and constant, you know. Uh, champions fight a lot less and the top contenders seem to fight a lot less. My goal is to get into these top rankings and not have that happen. Just go on a steady, keep that steady momentum, steady consistency. Make time for growth, of course, because you can't fight every, like, back-to-back uh, -back and have solid fundamental growth in between. You get to walk away and work on certain aspects of the sport. But... Um, at the end of the day, I think consistency is really important in this sport because you have a small shelf life and that runs out very fast. Like I said earlier, I'm in my 30s right now, so I know that I'm in or approaching my physical prime and the time is, is now to kind of make this stuff happen. So um, to answer your question, I'm, I'm not sure that I can say whether or not people should fight more. Or I wish it was more of an old school mentality where fighters just fight everyone that they're offered. But for me, I'm always going to I'm always going to be here. As long as my health is in place and, and it works out on a personal end, I'm always going to be here to compete because I love competing. Thanks very much. Dan had mentioned he likes your fight style and he thought he saw some similarities between the two of you. And it was almost that he was excited because he knew that he would have somebody that was willing to go forward and meet him in the middle. Do you see similarities between your, your fight styles as well? Yeah, I think there's certain things that are similar. Um, that's funny. He said he's, he thinks I'm going to come forward and meet him in the middle. That's, is it? Somewhat along I could be paraphrasing it, but it seemed like he was excited. Like he knew that you weren't going to be afraid to throw down. Yeah, I mean, yes, we're we are getting in there to fight. There's going to definitely be that. But at the end of the day, I think there's more differences and distinctions than there are similarities. And I was talking to my strike coach, Coco, about this earlier, the difference in technical and tactical uh, application. So I think you might see some stuff. Dan, Dan is... Uh, on paper, maybe you wouldn't see him as the type of striker who could get in there and compete with a guy like Barbosa or have the boxing prowess of Qatar, yet he gets in and has close contests and a striking context with them. And this is not because of his technical prowess, it's because of his tactical application. And I don't know if that comes from Eric or comes from Wampa, where he puts the fight, which range he controls, where his strengths are, stuff like this. It's very specific, you know. And I think you can see similarities, but if you look at my fights, I bring something different in every fight, every single one. And... I try to tailor it to the guy that I'm about to fight with. So um, I do see I do see some similarities, but mostly physical in height, reach, um, um, certain applications and stuff like that too. But I do believe there's more distinction. There's more differences than, than there are similarities. 
and that, that kind of goes to some of the, one of the themes that sort of happened today was a, we did have a lot of fighters that came in and said, I don't watch tape on my opponent. I don't really look at my opponent. That's crazy. You sound completely opposite in that sense where it sounds like you've done the, the, the tape work yourself as well. Is that t- uh, typical for you going into a fight where you like to do a lot of studying with your opponent? And I'm, you can ask these boys behind you. I'm an absolute psychopath for that. I can tell you which Dan holds the fork in and which hand he holds the knife in to cut a steak. You know, like I'm not, I'm not messing around when it comes to this. If we're on the ground, and he turns a direction to get up i know which direction that's going to be ahead of time i'm i like tape because i like the sport as a sport too you know and i I think looking at it from a strategical standpoint gives you a lot and and that kind of work it for some people maybe it makes them anxious i don't know why you wouldn't watch tape but it's a sport at the end of the day so the more information you can have to to weaponize why wouldn't you this is this is crazy to me who's and it doesn't have to be the fighters watching tape you know it comes down to competence as well maybe you're not you know the kind of type of guy who has eyes that can take these things but someone has to fucking watch tape that's insane if you're not watching tape you just show up and treat it like someone just walked into your gym on a saturday and you're about to spar that's um hey i don't mean to judge if that's the method that's the method and that's what you enjoy but i'm here to uh, i'm here to climb and and i'm not going to climb without intelligence and just leave that behind and um, so I'm studying. I like tape, and my team likes tape. And Firas is joining us tomorrow, and he likes tape. Everyone, every one of us, we like tape. It sounds obviously that you, that you like tape. I like tape, and, and, and I think uh, just to peek your 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 analytical side of the brain, and you already kind of touched on it as well. But if you had to lay out where he is the most dangerous, and where you the the factors that you need to pay attention and watch for going in on Saturday, what would be those dangers that you have to keep an eye out for? Um. It depends on it depends on how he approaches the fight. It depends on which range he wants the fight to be in, which facet of the game he wants it to be in, whether he wants to engage in grappling, whether it's clinching stand, clinching wall work or groundwork. Um, and it depends on his hesitancy if he if he decides he's gonna, like you said earlier, I really paid attention to the fact that you said he, he, you know, he said you guys will meet in the middle and throw down and scrap. That that delivers a message of where the mentality is. You know, what I'm, you know what I'm saying? Do you send me a sure. message of what you um, just said? So it, it depends. It depends. I think I, could, I can't say that for sure because we don't know. And these fights are just a lot of times so competitive they're a coin flip. But I can guarantee you that we're going to have a period of time where we're trying to discover each other's intentions. And I think the person who discovers the intentions first and then has a solid set plan to capitalize on on what to do about it is going to be the guy who ends up <clears throat> taking control at least in the first round and then coming back to the third i think is where you're going to see more of um the statement that dan had made the the, the third the third is going to be uh you know if it, if it sees the third it's going to be one of those telltale um moments for for um what fighters do Feeling that? <laughs> I like it, man. This guy's got a little intensity to him and just, you know, direct forward, straight vibe, man. He's he's not holding back, man. I like it. By the way, I like what he says, too, about the um, studying tape, man. That's something that has really uh, always kind of interested me over the years. And I think he, he touched on it. Didn't go into it a lot, but, um, you know, I think a lot of people that say they don't watch tape, it's because they don't want to focus on it. Man, this game is so mental, and I think they – you know, it gives them anxiety, like focusing on their opponent and thinking about the fight. And, you know, 
you know, and maybe there's a mental strategy to it too. You know, you, you don't want to give your opponent's skills too much thought because now you're, you're thinking about reacting to what they're going to do versus you being aggressive and, and, and setting the pace and setting the tone and, and dictating what's going to happen. But I, I think that's a I, – to me, I would want to educate myself as much as possible on what my opponent is capable of doing and what tendencies they, they have. So I like the way he approaches it. And I do – I think a lot of times it's just that people don't want to uh, – that don't want to don't want to think about it. Basically, it's it's a mental thing, man. And 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 look, this this game is is very much a mental game. The physical aspect, the physical aspect, what which seems to be the hardest part for us, right? Especially for a guy like me that ain't in the gym very much. You know what I'm saying? You look at the physical aspect of what these people do, and that's the part that seems the most difficult and amazing and all that. But in reality, it's it's the mental part that's the most challenging about it. So, uh, anyway. Uh, I will never cheer against my my man Dan Ige, man. Like I said, he's a Vegas guy. He's a good dude. Um, you know, he's he's on the management side of the game, and, and as, as well as on the fighting side of it. Um, and I'll never cheer against him. But Gavin Tucker's got my attention, to say the least. Um, like I said, you know, not a ton of really impactful fights in the division, um, but you know, could be some entertainment value. We'll see. Um, Davy Grant versus Jonathan Martinez. Uh, love me some Jonathan Martinez. Hope you. Uh, see, now I hate. I, I don't want to cheer against Davy Grant because I like Davy Grant. He's a good dude too. But Jonathan Martinez's post-fight interviews are the best. Uh, dude, absolutely is scared to death. He's getting better. He's getting better, but is absolutely scared to death of speaking to people. Uh, and it's amazing that, that you know talk about mental things. This dude goes in there and is a cage fighter. You know, professional cage fighter, but uh, sometimes makes his girlfriend order dinner for him off the menu when they go to restaurants because he's afraid to talk. That's crazy, man. You know what I mean? Like that's that's such unique personality blend right there, uh, and and I absolutely love it, man. I love I, I miss not not getting to cover his fight week because I, I love talking to that guy and just <laughs> trying to help him be comfortable. Um, Manel Cop get to see him return, uh, get him another tough matchup in Mateus Nicolau. This to me super intriguing. I know Manel Cop. If, you, if you're not familiar with his career, you might not have been too impressed with his UFC debut. Um, he, he was certainly having some issues there, um, you know, w- fighting barefoot. I think the, the footing was a little bit um, different to him. He wasn't used to that. Um, you know, he's, he's been fighting in shoes um, and just didn't pull the trigger, man. I don't know what it was, but just didn't pull the trigger. Uh, but they're giving him an absolute stud and Mateus Nicolau as well. Uh, so you can see where they think of Manel in the flyweight division. Um, Mateus Nicolau was kind of part of the, the flyweight purge um, back in the day, and I, I didn't think he deserved to be. So now he's back. That's good. Eric Anders versus Darren Stewart. Um, boy, there's another. I started to play some Darren Stewart as well. Um, but, you know, if, if you want to check out another good scrum, go check out Darren Stewart, man. I love I love him as well. He kind of, kind of starts to get a little tearing into the how bad the, the quarantine is but he's like trying not to be disrespectful and knows it has to be done so it's kind of a funny dynamic uh angela hill versus ashley yoder on the prelims that's the, the rescheduled fight there of course that is a, a fun fight a rematch uh those two were going to throw down and of course angela hill um you know that can't have an impact in the rankings charles jordan is on there honey yeah yeah how about his old school <laughs> old school brazilian jiu-jitsu in there uh nazareth hot is welcoming in the undefeated uh newcomer hafa garcia jj aldridge and courtney Casey, that could be a scrap. Two girls that, um, you know, ne- their record doesn't necessarily jump out at you on paper, but they actually they come in and absolutely bang uh, both of them. So that could be a, a really fun scrap. 
uh, Gloria DePaula and Jinyu Fry, who uh, I've always been a fan of as well, came up uh, through the Vegas scene. And it kicks off with Matthew Simmelsberger versus Jason Witt. So, you know, one of those ones that you might want to catch highlights of, or if you got other things to do on Saturday night, you can watch the replay. Of course, it is on ESPN+. Plus. You can watch it on demand whenever you want. That's the beautiful thing of it. And then once you watch it, make sure you head on over to patreon.com slash the MMA Roadshow and catch that and a half version. Uh, hate to hate to run. Uh, thanks for putting up with me talking solo, but I gotta go get dressed and head over to the arena. We got some fights, uh, so be sure be sure I'm working some CFFC into your weekend as well. We certainly would appreciate it. In the meantime, I'll just say thanks for listening.